why, I got to thinking this week, why did she do this? Why, why did she do this? I, I kept thinking about that. One of my earliest memories was in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a summer afternoon. My dad is a seminary student, and he's a student pastor, and he works at a grocery store. And my mother is having us work on putting together these little invitations. The invitations are for the neighborhood kids. My mom is going to have in the backyard of our house what she calls a five-day club. And for the five-day club, she has us put together these little invitations. And then she says, we're going to go out in the neighborhood and we're going to invite all the neighbor kids to come to our house. And when they come to our house, we're going to get out the wordless book. And we're going to explain the gospel to them using the wordless book. We're going to sing songs and we're going to tell stories and we're going to memorize Bible verses and we're going to give them treats. It'll be a lot of fun. One of my earliest memories. And why did she do that? My mother, Jane Pierpont, my mother, wherever she went, she had with her little little uh, case, an, Av- an old Avon case that she had repurposed for, she would have a children's story, a, a visualized children's story in it, and she would have some sheet music in there because it was well known that she would always help out if they needed her in junior church or Sunday school or if, if they wanted her to sing. And they would say, do you have a song you could sing? And then my mom would always modestly say, can you go to the car and get my Avon bag? Or somebody would. And, and, and then she would sing. Why did she do that? Why did she like never stop doing, doing that? Now, 40, about 45 years ago, the bus pulls up in front of June Knight Sinclair Station on State Route 47 in a little village called Logansville, Ohio. And my sister Melly and I, we get off of the bus. Normally we cross the road to the parsonage, but it's Tuesday night. So instead of crossing the road to the parsonage, we go to the little white frame church. Now the doors are open. Mom is having what she calls uh, a good news club. Good news club, that's what she called it. And, and Mrs. Boffman helped her, Mrs. Davis helped her. And we would all cluster in there on the right side of the church, and mom would use those visualized songs. I remember they were like, stop, go, yield, one way. Do you remember these songs? And we would always fight over who got to hold the little signs. We memorized scriptures. I learned my books of the Bible that way. I still know them today. I think about that. Visualized books of the Bible almost every time. I'm trying to look for one of those Old Testament prophets. (laughs) My mom would tell a Bible story, and she would illustrate it with flannel graph. Maybe Mrs. Davis or Mrs. Boffin would get up, and they would tell a cliffhanger missionary story. Kept it really interesting. You always want to come back next week to find out what happened to Rangu, the witch doctor's daughter. I think that was her name. And there were treats. And songs and prayers. I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking, why did she do that? Why did she just so consistently do that? And I was thinking about our text in Romans, a clear, ringing truth of justification by faith, the good news of the gospel. I think there are a couple reasons why she did that and why she kept doing that. 
One reason is because that's how she came to know the Lord. It was in a Bible club down at the end of the street where somebody put up a tent one day, invited these two little girls from a broken home to hear the story of Jesus. And their lives were transformed from that day on to this day, over 60 years ago. And still today, Jane and Sue, those two little girls, they're all grown up now. My Aunt Sue, my mom. The reason that my mom kept doing that is because she knew that the story in that wordless book could absolutely transform your life and transform your family. She knew that. But this week as I was thinking about it, I thought there's probably another reason, and that's because she wanted us to do that too. Matter of fact, I knew all the stories because I'd heard them over and over before, and stories stick in my mind. So I was just this irritating kid who would sit there with my friends, and when my mom got to just the perfect part of the story, I would always whisper the punchline to my friends. And so then my mom said, okay, now what's going to happen is you're going to teach the story. And that I look, I look kind of angelic there, don't I? Looks can be deceiving. It's just, it's just Photoshop. And that's when I was like 14 years old. And it was the first time that I took one of those little CEF missionary stories. And I told the story of J. Hudson Taylor. And I got a taste for gospel ministry. And I've got to thinking about this. So crazy. I've seen my mother do that a thousand times. And it's what I've devoted my whole life to. That's all I do. I go out and I try to get people to come and hear about Jesus. I go out and I try to find people who will listen to my stories about Jesus. I teach the Bible and I tell cliffhanger stories. That's just what I do. And every once in a while we get to sing, don't we, Stephen? And it's a real delight. Now when Paul was dealing with the Roman church, he wanted to get them on that same mission. He wanted them to be faithful in making the gospel plain to others. And because there was some confusion about the gospel, because, there, because the, the Jewishness there had confused the people, and there was a confusion about uh, the idea of justification by works, because people were confused that they could be justified by being good, he wanted to make it really clear to them, the gospel, that justification was by faith. And so what he did is he appealed to an old story in the Old Testament that every Jewish person would have respect for. He appealed to the story of Abraham in the Bible. And all of Romans chapter 4 is a story of Abraham. Now I need to say today, that this particular passage is a bit patriarchal, but a woman does surface in it a little bit later, and she's pretty critical to the story. Sarah is in the story too. And nothing that happened would have happened without Sarah, amen? Isn't that the way it is? And so all of chapter 4 can be broken. I'll just show you an outline so you kind of know what we're doing. Chapter 4 of Romans is just kind of saying about five things. It's saying first that Abraham was not justified by works, And then it's saying that Abraham was not justified by circumcision. Yes, we're going to speak briefly about circumcision today. I knew that's what you were thinking when you got up on Mother's Day. Let's go to church and hear a talk on circumcision. He was not justified. It's in there a lot, okay? I didn't make this up. This is not my material. I'm just passing it on to you. Abraham was not justified by works. He wasn't justified by Jewish rituals like circumcision. He wasn't justified by the law. But according to the Bible, he was justified by faith. 
By believing, he was made right with God. Remember, justification is that word that we're using as if you were standing before the, the, the judge of the universe and you were guilty and you deserve to die and somebody else steps in, his name is Jesus, he takes the death penalty for you. Justified. And you are just as if you'd never sinned. Just as if you'd had the righteousness of Christ before God. Justification not by works, not by circumcision, not by the law, but by faith. So now you know where we're going. Let's read verses 1 through 8. And you'll notice that what verses 1 through 8 say is that Abraham was not justified by works. What then shall we say? That Abraham our father was found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And by the way, he's going to quote Genesis 15, 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's going to mention a word or a derivative of this word 11 different times. Accounted. It's going to be really an important word. Now to him who, who, who works, the wages are not counted as grace or as a gift, but as a debt. In other words, if you work hard and you promise to do something for somebody, they owe you that money, what they promise to do. But it's, and it's not a gift. You don't like, my, my dad always said this way, put in a hard day's work and don't back up to the pay window. He said, you put in a hard day's work, you don't have to beg for your check. That's what he would say. Work hard. So if you've earned it, then you can, you can say, I earned this. And what, what Paul is saying is Abraham didn't earn his salvation. It was a gift. That's what he's saying. Okay? Then he says in verse 5, but to him who does not work but believes, and this is one of the most amazing phrases in the Bible, him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Justifies the ungodly. That's what it says. On him who does not work but justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, this is one of the most amazing phrases in the Bible. In the only place the Bible teaches it, it teaches it all over the Bible. But a very clear place where the Bible says that justification is by faith for people who are ungodly. And that is really great news. Let me tell you, you want that to be true, am I right? You want that to be true. Justification by faith. Now what Paul does is, is if he hasn't already kind of really pulled out the big guns and he's used Abraham as an example. So people have reverence for like Jewish patriarchs. He now uses David as an example. David says, David says in, its, in, in one of the penitent psalms there, Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. David can say that, right? Because this is a man who was, who was forgiven a horrifying transgression of adultery and murder and deceit. It was, it's, ugly, it's an ugly, ugly story. And he says in Psalm 32, and you can also read Psalm 51, penitent Psalms of David, that, that David was justified by faith, made right with God through faith. Not because he never did anything wrong, because he did scandalous things wrong. So it says here in verse 6, Justice David also describes the blessings of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And then it quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Put it on his account. 
that was like a great amen spot right there. Isn't that a great passage? Psalm 32, David says that happy, joyful, really blessed is a man or a woman that doesn't have to pay for their own sin, but is justified by faith. And so he's making this argument. Now, Abraham was justified by faith. When did that happen? Well, here's the, the short version of the story. He's from Ur of the Chaldees, over by the Euphrates River, right? And he gets called away from his father and called away from Ur of the Chaldees. And his father, the Bible says, is an idolater. And God is going, in, in Genesis 12, he's going to build a nation out of Abraham. Genesis 12 through 50, remember, is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And God is going to bring a nation out of Abraham in order to bring the gospel, the good news, to the entire world. And Abraham comes from people who are idolaters. Isn't that amazing? You can see it in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2. Abraham was a shepherd, but he was also a prophet. He heard from God and he spoke to God. God appeared to Abraham. This is an amazing thing. Remember when we were talking about the gods that are angry, that don't appear to people in a kind way? God appears to Abraham and he calls him, he speaks with him, he communicates with him. God speaks to Abraham, and he speaks to him in a beautiful way. He takes him out underneath the stars. He has them look up into the black, 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 inky blackness of the night sky at thousands of stars, and he says, your, your descendants are going to be as many as the stars of the sky. He gives him this vision, this dream. And the Bible says that's when Abraham believed, Genesis 15:3. That's when he believed, and he was justified by faith. Because he believed what God said. Isn't that interesting? That's, that was the moment when he believed. What was the moment that you believe? God then made covenant promises with Abraham. Rather than like the angry God's theology where God is just silent and he's arbitrary and you can't satisfy him. God makes it very clear by communicating to Abraham how he can be satisfied. He communicates his absolute, like, white-hot holiness to Abraham. And throughout the Old Testament, he communicates his absolute desire for absolute holiness. But then he also communicates that he's going to offer a, a, a payment for that, that's going to meet the demands that he has. And he grants faith, according to Philippians 1 and verse 29, for you it has been granted to believe. In John 8 and verse 56, it says of Abraham, Jesus said of Abraham that he rejoiced to see my day. So Abraham was one of these Old Testament prophets that had a shadowy picture of what was going to happen in the future, but he believed God and he longed to look into the things that you and I can read in our Bibles. As a matter of fact, listen to some scriptures. John eight fifty six. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, another version of that. Luke ten twenty four. Many prophets desired to see this day. First Peter, uh, First Peter says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, carefully, who prophesied of the grace that is to come, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things the angels desire to look into. Did you get that passage? It's saying you understand the gospel now because you have the whole story. But prophets and angels long to have a clear understanding of this. That they believe what God told them and were justified by faith, and they long to have a clear understanding that you and I have now because we have the gospel, we have the New Testament open in our laps. And Hebrews says the same thing, Matthew 13, 
17, I say to you, many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see. In Hebrews 11, you can read it this afternoon after you do all the nice things for your mom you're supposed to do. These all died in faith. It's talking about Abraham in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They believed that God had a city for them. They believed and were justified by faith. So how do we know Abraham was was justified by faith and not by works because Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 8 say so. And they give us the extra example of David. It was not justified by circumcision. Circumcision was a right that was a big deal to Jewish people. And the word circumcision is mentioned repeatedly in verses 9 through 12. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also. For we say, and again, here's the word, faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? So if you have the chronology down right in the Bible, Abraham's circumcision, when did it happen? According to Genesis, he was justified by faith not only before he was circumcised, but before the law was given. So circumcision didn't, it wasn't justified by circumcision, and he wasn't justified by the law because they didn't exist for years after that. His circumcision was somewhere between 14 and 20 years later, and the law was over, it was hundreds of years later. And this is what Paul is saying to the people, don't, and this is what I'm saying to you, like you say, what, what's the point? Well, obviously you can't be saved, be right with God, and know that you have a place in heaven unless you are justified by faith. And you can't properly guide your children. You can't be the mother that you ought to be unless you are able to clearly express to your children this truth of justification by faith. This drills down is the heart of the Christian faith that we're talking about between now and the end of May. It's critical that you understand this, that you believe it, that you're thrilled with it, your sanctification depends on you being thrilled with it, and that you can clearly express that to other people because it's your purpose on earth to be able to clearly express that to other people. So this should be something that's like, this is a very big deal. And people that you talk to, and many of you that are sitting right here, wrestle with the feeling that, that you have to be good to be saved or do something to be saved or do some religious ritual to be saved. And, and, and wrestle with the truth of justification by grace through faith alone. This is the major truth that we want to be able to clearly express to people. This is the truth that's going to transform families and people all throughout this area. I was talking to a lady in my class this morning. Her name is Sunday. I don't want to get embarrassed too much. Her name is Sunday. Is that a cool name? You know what she told me? Can I, you don't mind if I tell you this, right? Like I'm already telling it, so... You know, Sunday came to this church when she was a little girl. Did you know that? Came when she was a little girl, heard the gospel. And she's come back recently and loves it. And she's seeking the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? When I hear stories like that, I just think, how many little girls are out there? Like my mom. Who, the first time they hear the gospel, their hearts will love it, will embrace it, and they will never be the same they will be completely transformed. We want to be really good at explaining the gospel to people because it will transform whole families of people. My mom understood that. And so she wanted me to understand it and she wanted me to preach it. And that's what I'm doing today. On Mother's Day, I always call my mother. I say to my mom, Mom, what can I get you for Mother's Day? My mother has two answers to that. They alternate years. One is 
just try to be good. She always says it really, you know, like, really sorry, like, try to, just try to be good. <laughs> like, I'm a pastor, mom, I'm a professional good guy, that's what I do. She goes, I know you, I'm your mother. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> but more often than that, you know what she says? She says, I just want you to serve the Lord. I just want you to serve the Lord. I want you to take that message and make it plain. This is what Paul is saying to the Romans. He's saying, don't get confused about this because it's going to transform Rome. And for that matter, I'm going to come to you and I want you to send me on my way to Spain. I want some missionary stuff going on. It's the same today, right? It's the very same thing. We go out, we spread out, we tell the story of the gospel. That is why we want to understand that justification is not by works. It's not by religious rituals like circumcision. Verse 10. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. This is Paul telling people who have some Jewish consciousness that there will be uncircumcised people who are justified by faith. That was a shocker for them. They're like, are you kidding? To get into their church, the fellows had to have surgery. Right? That'd be like the girls would come and the guys would go, I think I'm going to watch football today. I didn't expect you to laugh uproariously about that, but it is a wee bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Verse 12, and the father... My wife's going to tell me about this, right? The father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while he was uncircumcised. So you say, what's the point of this? The point is this. People everywhere are going to tell you that to be saved, you just have a set of religious rituals. Listen, that is God's are angry at you theology, and they're still doing that to people. And that is not the truth of the Bible. The truth of the Bible is that we are justified by faith and not by religious rituals. They have their place. It's not for justification. And then you're not justified by the law, verses 13 through 17, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It wasn't the law. It was faith. Get it? Verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. In other words, what he's saying is the purpose of the law is to make you understand how guilty you are and that you don't have a chance unless somebody else pays your sin debt. That's the idea. So the purpose of the law is not to save people. It's to get them to want to be saved in a simple way of saying it. Therefore, it is of faith, verse 16, that it might be also according to grace. So the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. So what do, we, what do we have here? Justification isn't by works. Abraham wasn't justified by works. Justification isn't by ritual. Abraham wasn't justified by circumcision. Justification isn't by the law. Abraham wasn't justified by the law. But justification is by faith. Verse 17, in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope and hope believed, 
so that he became a father of many nations according to that which is spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he's about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform, therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. So you see that? So that so Paul Paul is saying to the Roman Christians, get this down for your own sake, for the sake of your ongoing flourishing spiritually, and for the sake of your ministry to others, that justification is not by the works, justification isn't by religious rituals, and, and, and justification is not by the law. The law has a different purpose. These things have a different purpose. But that justification is by faith. Now, notice this is still true today to any of us who believe and for you to believe. Look what verse 23 says. Now it is not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who is delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Did you get that? Do you understand the beauty of that? So Abraham wasn't justified by works or circumcision or by the law he was justified by faith and you can be justified by faith alone and anyone who believes can be justified by faith alone no system no sect no secret no society no special knowledge or power is more powerful more effective more satisfying than the simplicity of the gospel we want to be good at it nothing's more powerful or essential than the gospel now about my mother <laughs> she she was didn't confuse the law and the gospel. You understand, my mother taught the law, and my mother enforced the law. But she never confused the law. In other words, it would have been really useful for mom to kind of moralize a lot. Look, here are these people. These are the good things that they did. Kenny, can't you just try to be good? Because that's not what good moms do. They teach the law in the day-to-day course of living when their children violate the law and they don't love and they're not tender and they're not kind. They, they violate the law of God Good mothers and good teachers, men and women alike, they point that out, but then they make it clear the way of salvation is by grace through faith. Do you believe that? If you do, it'll change your life. Are you thrilled about it? If you're thrilled about it, it will transform you. Are you good at telling other people? That's the most fun thing in the whole world. You know what I want to do? I want to quit before noon because it's what I do on Mother's Day. And I want to sing a gospel song, and I want this to be ringing in your hearts. But before I do... I want to read you something because Mother's Day cards are generally really lame. I went to the store the other day. And I'm looking at Mother's Day cards. And I seriously can't find a Mother's Day card that says anything close to what I would actually say. I'm not cheap. I, mean, I would happily buy an expensive Mother's Day card. So I want to say to all of you ladies here today, to all of you, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all who you are. Thank you for the way that you ladies beautify our lives. Thank you for your initiative and your ingenuity. Thank you for your diligence and thank you for your dedication. Thank you for your toughness and thank you for your tenderness and thank you for your intelligence and thank you for your courage. Thank you for your intuition. Thank you for your instincts. Thank you for your forgiveness and your patience with us. Thank you for your loyalty and love. Thank you for your grace and for your gifts. Thank you for knowing when to comfort us and when to challenge us. Thank you for knowing when to call us out and when to lift us up. 
Thank you for the beauty. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the fragrance that you grace our lives with because you're in it. But most of all, thank you for making the gospel clear so that we have the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And one more thing. Thank you for all the food. This is what you're probably thinking about right now. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>